Turn back now to Acts chapter 16. There's some familiar words to find there. Uh, verse 31, Acts 16. And verse 31. Here in this exceedingly dramatic incident. As Paul and Silas are singing hymns and saying to God at midnight. The earthquake uh, shakes the city and the, the prison doors are opened. And the jailer is about to kill himself because he thinks that all his charges have fled. But Paul shouts for things for not to do any harm to himself. And he comes and falls down before Paul and Silas and asks, What must I do to be saved? And they said, verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house, that is a household, all the people in the house. You and your household believe in Jesus Christ, you be saved. <laughs> now last week we began a short uh, series of studies looking at the, the question, how can I know if I'm a Christian? How can I know when I become a Christian, how can I know if I am a Christian? Because we saw last week that it is normal for people who are Christians, who really are Christians, to know that they're Christians. It's not so normal for people who aren't Christians to know that they're not, but certainly if you are a Christian, it is normal for you to be absolutely sure that you are a Christian. And last week we saw that one sign of being a Christian that shows that you really are a Christian is that you have repented. True repentance is a sign of true Christianity. If you have repented, that is, you have a, a new desire for God in your heart and a new hatred of sin, then that is one sign that you are a Christian. This morning, I'd like to think about another sign, and it's a sign of faith. Faith is something that uh, every Christian has. John's Gospel is perhaps the clearest uh, <coughs> place to look to prove that. John says that in chapter 1, verse 12, that to all who receive Christ, to those who believe in Him, God gave Him the power to become the children of God. To those who believe in Christ, the children of God. John 3.16 asks, and then it's the well-known verse, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that he sort of believe in him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Believe in Christ, you have everlasting life. At the end of John's Gospel, it says that he's written the whole Gospel, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Believing in Jesus means you have life in his name. Believing in Jesus makes us children of God. And that's why as the early church went out and began to preach about Jesus, one of the things that it was doing was calling people to believe. We were looking a couple of weeks ago on Sunday evening at Cornelius and uh, Acts chapter 10, Peter goes to Cornelius' house and he says to Cornelius and his household, everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sin through his name. Believing in Jesus 
And meaning that you receive forgiveness for your sins. And here, at verse 31, about 16 again, Paul says to the jailer, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. You'll have your sins forgiven, and you'll be in a right relationship with God. Believe and you're a Christian. To know whether or not you're a Christian, you look at your faith. Last week we saw you look at your, the quality of your repentance. Is it true repentance? Have you truly turned from sin to God? But today, you look at faith. Do you truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? That is a sign of the Christian. <coughs> now we might think to ourselves, well, surely that's uh, something that none of us here is any problem with. Because uh, we're here, and presumably we're here because, well, we may have our doubts, we may have questions, but basically we do believe. We believe in Jesus, and that's why we're here. <coughs> and because we believe, then presumably that means we're all Christians. But we can't just assume that our believing is, is of the right form or the right time. Just because we were able to say that's the, the crowd where the child's gone, we believe. The reason for that is something that's very sober and very um, solid that the New Testament teaches us. And that is that there is a sense in which the devil believes, and he believes far more fully and clearly than any of us. In that sense. For example, uh, in the Gospels, when people were possessed with demons, you quite often see them crying out to the demon, You are the Son of God, to Jesus, or You are the Holy One of God. The demons believe that. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 29, the demons that uh, were in the, the, the demon possessed man, if you read about in that chapter, cry out to Jesus, Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? They believed Jesus was the judge of the world, and that he would appoint them their uh, condemnation in due course. And here in verse 17, <coughs> this girl who's possessed with a demon, listen to what the demon says about. And Paul and Silas, these men are the servants of the Most High God which shows the way of salvation. The devil believes in Jesus. The devil believes Jesus is all here. He believes Jesus is the Son of God. He believes Jesus is uh, the, the Son of the Most High God. He believes that Jesus will judge the world. He believes that Jesus is the way of salvation and that only to him there is salvation. The writer James says the devil believes all this. But he trembles. So he's obviously not God. The kind of faith makes him a Christian. Because for one thing, the devil certainly isn't a Christian. He's got faith. But it hasn't made him a Christian. So there must be something more. There's something different about the faith that makes us Christians. What kind of faith will assure me of you that we are Christians? Well, I think that true faith has four parts to it. 
particularly as four parts, and I'm going to use a, an illustration to try and get us across. It has knowledge, it has conviction, it has trust, and it also has confession. Four things. I want you to imagine that you're stranded on a large island, a very large but barren island. Where you are on the island at this point is very close to the mainland. The mainland seems to be very fertile and there's plenty to eat over there, but where you are on this large island, there's nothing. And you're, you're, you're very close to the mainland, but you can't cross because the sea is between you and the mainland. And you can't swim, and you've got nothing else to take you across. And you'll get a hungry, because there's nothing to eat on the island. Now while you sit and contemplate how you're going to get food, and how you can cross over to the mainland where you see the, the rescue, a man comes into view on the mainland, just opposite where you are, and because it's not far, you're within shouting distance. He sizes up your situation and recognizes that you're hungry and he shouts across to you that if you try if you go way down to the south of the island, which is quite a long distance away, again the island comes close to the mainland, but at that point there's a bridge. And you can cross that bridge to the other side where there's a village and food. That illustrates the first part of faith, which is knowledge. You now know how to get food. You now know how to get safely over to the mainland where the food is. You've got knowledge. That's the first part of faith. You cannot become a Christian without knowledge. You have to know at least something. Paul tells Timothy, for example, that Timothy, from his infancy, he knew the Holy Scripture. He knew the Bible, especially the Old Testament. He knew the Holy Scriptures. And Paul says, these are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. They give you the knowledge of Paul. They themselves are not salvation. The knowledge itself is not salvation. But it's able to make you wise so that you can be saved. So that you know that it's through faith in Jesus Christ. So the first thing is knowledge, and that's an essential foundation for faith. You cannot have faith without first having knowledge. You need to know what you're going to believe in. <coughs> knowledge. I think uh, we probably all have that knowledge, but there's something more, and it's conviction. Conviction. Turn back to the illustration. You're convinced that what the man has shouted over to you is the truth. And so you begin to make the journey, weak though you are, to, south, to the south end of the island, to, to find that bridge that he's talking about and to find truth. Conviction. You're convinced that what you've heard, that the knowledge you've gained is the truth. And so you begin to use that knowledge to seek what that knowledge says is there and is available. Now I think that corresponds to the second element of faith, the conviction, which makes us seek, 
salvation through Jesus Christ. Because many, many people have knowledge, but they, they're not convinced it's, it's just a truth. They're not convinced that they need to do anything about it. And so, a load of knowledge, they're certainly not Christians. They may be more knowledge than many people who are Christians, but they don't do anything with the knowledge. But it's when you're convinced that what you've heard and what you know about Jesus meets your need, that you seek him. You seek to meet him. And you see that in the gospel stories all the time. People were convinced that Jesus could heal them, for example. And so they made often long and painful and difficult journeys to meet him. They had conviction that Jesus was the one who could actually heal them. And they went to where he could be found. We can do the same. If we're convinced that Jesus is the Savior and that he is able to save us and bring us to God, we're convinced that's what we need. <coughs> now we seek him. We seek to find him for ourselves. And where do we find him? Well, we find him through the use of the scriptures, through the use of prayer, through coming along to church, through fellowship with Christians. All these places are places where we can find Jesus Christ. But we've got to come see him. Because if we come and open the Bible and just read uh, for a sort of ritual sake, or because that's what we always do, then we're not seeking. We've got to come seeking. Come say, Lord, I want to, to really meet Jesus here. To meet Jesus in this Bible. To meet Jesus when I pray to you. To meet Jesus when I come along to the, the worship services. And to meet Jesus uh, when other Christians are with me, speaking to We feel we've got to meet him. That's a part of truth, the conviction that leads us to seek him, to seek to meet him for ourselves. <clears throat> but there's something else as well, and that is trust. Back to the illustration again, as we, we travel south, we come eventually to that bridge. The bridge from the, the barren island where there's nothing to eat across to the mainland where it's fertile and there is, there is a village. But the bridge doesn't look very safe. It's just across a narrow channel but we can't swim. And if the bridge collapses then we fall in and we drown. However, we cross the bridge. We cross over the bridge. And there we find food to satisfy. We have to cross that bridge. Oh, we'd still be on the island. We had to trust it. Even though as we looked at it, it didn't seem to be very secure. When we actually were on it, we found that it was very secure indeed. And that's something of what faith has as well. Because through faith, seeking Christ sees him as he is and is prepared simply to rest upon him. To rest in him alone. To let him take the full weight of our sin, of our lives and all, all that we can carry and bear to him. Everything. All that we cast upon him, all the anxieties, everything that we give to him. To let him just take everything and to carry 
faithfully to God. We are prepared to do that. We find peace in doing that. We find peace we we were completely convinced that he's enough. And so we trust him. We're satisfied with him alone. We find that we can entrust ourselves to him and we do it. And when we see him and we meet him, we see him, we hand ourselves over to him. We trust him. He is all sufficient for us. A savior for our sins and the Savior to carry us safely to God. We trust in Jesus. Everything else that we might have trusted, we believe so that He Himself can do for us what nothing else can do. We trust in Jesus. So you might think that, that, that is it, and that is what makes us Christians. And indeed, that does make us Christians. But there is something further that it really proves that what has happened is real for us. It's real in our experience. It's, it's been a real thing. We haven't just uh, uh, used words or just spoken about something. But we really have actually experienced that Jesus gives us peace because we trust in it. And that is confession. Now that corresponds in an illustration so perhaps later on in our own travels we're, we're on the mainland and we, we come to that point on the mainland which is opposite where we first ourselves sat on the island wondering how on earth we were going to get over to the fertile mainland. And so we're at that point on the mainland. Now we're fed and we're satisfied and we see someone else on the island opposite us. Someone else has somehow also come to be stranded on that island and we recognize their condition. What do we do? We have found that the bridge is safe and we found where we can be satisfied. We shout over to them as well how to find that bridge and that when they do, they'll get peace and satisfaction. We confess to them, we profess and we tell them we ourselves have found to be true. And that itself is really something that uh, every Christian, this truly Christian, does. Romans 10 verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's two parts. We believe, but we also must confess, says Paul. It's very important that true faith is shown by the fact that we're willing to share it with others. True faith is never a private matter. True faith is never something that is for us to keep to ourselves. If you have true faith, it shows because you want to tell it to others. You have found that peace, and you want to share it with others. And you don't mind that uh, perhaps uh, others may not want to hear it. You don't feel ashamed that you are speaking about Jesus and others maybe don't want to hear. Your faith is willing to tell others about Jesus because that faith is true Christian faith. 
these are the four things that we can we can all look into our own lives and we can say, well, if you have these four things, because if we have, then there's another way by which we can just be assured in ourselves, I am a Christian. If I have the knowledge of Jesus, that has led to the conviction that I must seek him, and that has led on to me meeting him and trusting him, and just trusting him for my, my salvation, so that I have peace, and I, I tell others about it, I can be absolutely sure that I'm a Christian. That what I call my faith, because everyone speaks about their faith, it's my faith. My faith is real faith. If that is what my faith does for me, if that is what my faith has, it's real faith. You may find that there are many things in your life that you don't think tally up with what you believe a Christian should be like. That there are doubts and fears and anxieties and sins still dogging your life. But you have the faith. Well, be assured in that. This faith points you out as a true Christian. And rejoice in that. <coughs> One example of that, uh, I think, is very clearly found in what Paul says as an old man, shortly before he is going to die and uh, go to be with Jesus. Second Timothy 1 verse 12, very familiar verse. Paul confesses this, and it is a confession. I am not ashamed of you, because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day, that day of judgment, the day of the Lord, the day when Jesus returns. Paul says, I have no, I am not following about this. I'm willing to tell everyone about this. I know who I believe. That's the first thing. I'm convinced he is able to do what he says he is able to do. I have entrusted myself to him, even against the day of judgment. And he confesses that to others. Here's a faith that's got all the points of true faith. It's a faith in Jesus. And it's a faith that makes Paul so absolutely convinced about his position as a Christian believer that he is willing literally to jump into eternity, to jump to death, confident and at peace that he is going to be with Jesus and that Jesus is going to bring him to God. He believes and he has his true faith and it is enough for him. That is something that, that really shows that this faith that we're talking about here is a faith that is real, that is, is true Christian faith. It's a faith that is willing to state everything on what we believe. Because many people do say, I've got faith, and they speak about my faith, and, and the faith that I have, and so on. And it's great to have faith. Whatever faith uh, um, in Jesus we have, if it's, if it's right, even if it's not taking us all away, it's at least going to help us because it's a faith in what is true. We mustn't minimize uh, 
whatever people say, if people say that he, he showed no signs of a true Christian still, that, that perhaps an elder, I believe Jesus helped me or something. We must have realized that. Because if we put our faith in what is true, even, even if it's uh, just in one area of our lives or just for one thing, then the truth of that will help us. But that doesn't make us Christians. Because true faith is willing to stake everything on what we believe. A few years ago I was involved uh, in taking a funeral. <coughs> I was taken by um, a minister who just came into the area for the purpose of, of doing the funeral. And uh, certainly speaking to him I felt that he didn't share my own faith, he didn't share my own understanding of the gospel. At that funeral the, the family had chosen the hymns that would be sung at the funeral. And the minister of the St. Peter, he expressed surprise to me, and also to Yandam and Morgan, who was taking part, he expressed surprises at their choice of hymns. He didn't say much of it. Here's how some of the, the one of the hymns they chosen went. Not in my innocence I trust, I bow before thee in the dust. And through my Saviour's blood alone, I look for mercy at thy throne. The hour of my departure's come, I hear the voice that calls me home. Now, O oh my God, let trouble cease. Now let thy servant die in peace. Afterwards, I was speaking to, to Jan, to Jan and Warden, about the, the service and about the hymn that uh, the, the minister conducted the service didn't think was very appropriate. This is what Jan said, and it's always stuck with me. He said, I don't know why that minister thought the hymn a strange choice. Jan said, I could happily die with that hymn on my lips. Not in my innocence, I trust. I bow before thee in the dust, and through my Saviour's blood alone, I look for mercy. I could happily die without him on my lips. That's true faith. It's willing to stake everything on what we believe. That's what Mark said to Christians. A faith that knows, that's convinced, that trusts, that confesses to others. Willing to stake all. Willing to cross the bridge into eternity through Jesus Christ. Alone. Now let's examine ourselves, each one of us. And let's look and see if we have this faith. If what we have is so much uh, uh, security, there's so much peace to our life that we are willing to stake everything on what we believe. Because that faith in Christ alone, not in our innocence we trust, but we bow before him in the dust. And through his blood alone, we look for mercy at his throne. If that is our faith, and we're willing to speak our own, then we are true Christian believers. Let's pray together.
or the good thanks to you for the signs of faith that are there for all of us to see in our own lives. But we thank you, Jesus, most of all, that you are worthy of our trust. Sometimes, Lord, we, we look with the dimness and, and ignorance of our minds at you and feel perhaps that you're not, it's not easy to trust you or that perhaps you're not going to be able to carry the things that we trust in. But we thank you that when we actually trust, we find you so able, so completely and so wonderfully able to carry us safely through life and to be with the Father. But Lord Jesus, we wonder why we never trusted long before. Jesus, we worship you now. We pray that each of us will place our trust firmly in you. Amen.